Welcome to this podcast of the Episcopal Church of the Good Shepherd in Venice, Florida. It is the 13th Sunday after Pentecost, and you will hear Father Joe Hudson speak on Luke 14:25. As you listen, see if you can answer these questions. The questions, one, what point was Jesus trying to make with this speech? Two, who was in the crowd and how might they have received it? And three, what is your story of giving up or giving in? The Lord be with you. The proclamation of the Holy Gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, according to Luke. And on one occasion, large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and he turned and said to them, Whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, Brothers and sisters, yes, and even life itself, cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not first sit down and estimate the cost to see whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it will begin to ridicule him, saying, This feller began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to war, against another king will not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to oppose the one who comes against him with 20,000. If he cannot then, while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, none of you can become my disciple if you do not give up all your possessions. The Gospel of the Lord. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. By the way, Elaine, it's good having you back up here after all those uh, days and weeks of rehab. It's good having you back. A remote communication station high up in the wilderness of the Canadian Rockies picked up a low-band radio transmission. The message was staticky and garbled. 
The first storms of winter had arrived early and a small, isolated Inuit village located high above Timberline had been cut off from its supply line. The villagers were in desperate need of food and medicine. The story is now picked up by author Tom Wright. He records what happened next. The leader of a great expedition decided to forge a way through a high and dangerous mountain pass to bring urgent medical aid to the villagers cut off from the rest of the world. The rescue team advanced 15 miles by snowmobile, stopping at a small warming hut. From there, they would have to make their way through the pass on foot by snowshoe. The leader turned to his team and said, If you want to come any further, you'll have to leave your packs behind. From here on, the path is too steep to carry all that stuff. You probably won't find it again, and you'd better send your last postcards home. This is a dangerous route, and it's very likely that several of us won't make it back. Well, this dangerous fictitious rescue mission was, in a sense, what Jesus was trying to communicate to the crowds that day in our gospel reading. Jesus had been slowly making his way towards Jerusalem for the Passover feast. There were many with him. We are told that there were great crowds of people. As Jesus traveled along on foot, he would talk casually with those nearest to him, and then here and there along the road, he would stop to turn to the crowds and tell them another story. As Jesus scanned the vast crowds around him that day, they looked like quite the motley crew. The religious, the political, the socialites, along with a glorious variety of vagabonds and misfits, Everyone had their reasons for following close to Jesus. Some followed because of his magnetic personality. Some because their friends were there. Some Jewish zealots were in the crowd as well. They were waiting, hoping that this mob would soon rise up and overthrow the Roman occupiers. Some Jesus recognized as those he had recently healed of their infirmities, and these wanted to be near their Messiah. Some devoted followers had been with him from the very beginning of his ministry. As Jesus glanced around the crowd that day, he observed varying degrees of commitment to the cause of his Father's kingdom. Jesus took this moment to tell yet another story. He stopped, turned towards the crowds, and said, Whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even life itself, cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry the crucifixion cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Well, the crowd looked stunned and confused, Jesus appeared to be saying, So, you want to continue following me along the road as my disciple? Are you truly committed? Well, then, you need to hate every member of your family 
and your own life as well. You must even be willing to suffer death in the most shameful, humiliating, and painful of ways. Are you really willing? Well, if so, then you are ready to be my disciple. So how's that for a sales pitch? Have you ever heard someone using such a tactic to draw others into the Christian faith? I think not. Well, here's how author Tom Wright addressed Jesus' hard story. Imagine a politician standing on a soapbox addressing a crowd. If you're going to vote for me, he says, you're voting to lose your homes and your families. You're asking for higher taxes and lower wages. You're deciding in favor of losing all you love best. So come on, who's on my side? The crowd wouldn't even bother heckling him or throwing rotten tomatoes at him. They would just be puzzled. Why on earth would anyone try to advertise himself in that way? (laughs) Well, if you wanted a surefire way to lose an election, that would definitely be it, wouldn't it? Tom Wright continues his explanation with a story that I actually began with. He writes... Supposing, instead of a politician, we think of the leader of a great expedition forging a way through a high and dangerous mountain pass to bring urgent medical aid to villagers cut off from the rest of the world. If you want to come any further, the leader says, you'll have to leave your packs behind. From here on, the path is too steep to carry all that stuff. You probably won't find it again. And you'd better send your last postcards home. This is a dangerous route, and it's very likely that several of us won't make it back. Well, we might understand that. We may not like the sound of it, but we can see why it would make sense. You see, Jesus, in telling a story about hating his family and even his own life, was acting more like the leader of a grand and dangerous expedition, a rescue mission to save lives. Because he knew that they, as Jews living in first century Palestine, in occupied Roman territory, as followers of a fringe Jewish sect called the People of the Way, they had begun a very risky venture. Following the example of Jesus' life was in many ways living in opposition to their Jewish faith. Living like Jesus was in many ways living in opposition to the Roman Empire in which they lived, in opposition to its cult of emperor worship. It was a dangerous expedition they had embarked on. And yet, how does this dangerous venture relate to you and me today? as American followers of the way, as followers of Jesus Christ. We are, most of us, no longer young. We are moving towards or well into retirement. By following in the way of Christ, we aren't risking imprisonment and possibly death. We are at the stage of life where we are trying to settle down a bit and spend our waning years in some comfort. This story of danger and risk and a rescue mission seems a bit remote to us. 
But should it be? Is it at all possible that we may have in some ways too domesticated our Christian faith? Have we made it too easy and too comfortable? What does it mean for you and I to hate our fathers and mothers, wives and husbands and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even our own lives? Is there any way in which we might be called, even now, to lose our lives? Well, maybe not physically, but you and I are called to lose a certain part of our lives, that ego driver that strives for dominance and creeps itself to the surface now and then, that part of us that desires to be in control, that ignores feedback from others, that doesn't ask for help, that always has to win. This we need to lose. But overall, Jesus' use of the word hate is used here as hyperbole. He isn't really telling us to hate ourselves and to hate our family members. He is talking about our priorities, our passions, and what we ultimately value most. Followers of Christ are put here on this earth to expand God's reign of righteousness and truth and love and justice. This past Friday morning, my son Tim called me up. In our conversation, he talked about his current job working as a mechanic in a friend's auto shop. Here's Tim's story. I asked him to write it up in his words. You know, I never saw myself as being a mechanic. I still don't. I never wanted to be a mechanic when I was younger. I mean, sure, I was good with my hands. I would tinker with things like from Lincoln Logs and Legos to dismantling toasters and other burnt-out appliances. You remember this, honey? But still, never a mechanic. I've always had my plan, my life's road, mapped out. I enlisted in the United States Army with the full intent of serving 20 years or more, but that door soon closed for one reason or another, further propelling me to the next stage of life, further down life's roadmap. After graduating college and coming to a blunt reality that the door of my chosen field of study seemed to be closing on me, I started to see a pattern a pattern of pursued attempts in life where it seemed as though God kept saying, no, that's not where I want you to go. Let's close that door. No, not there either. Close door. As he continued to guide, nudge, and shove me through the life he designed. And it wasn't until one day a couple years back when, I just, when it just clicked. I didn't put myself on this earth to fulfill my purpose, God placed me here to fulfill God's purpose. What makes me think I'm going to have the answers and know what my plan is or what my roadmap is and how to plan for it if it was never in my hands to begin with? This left me with one clear reality, which I think is what Jesus intended when he said, take up your cross and follow me. I have to stop trying to find which doors to open that will take me down my life's path. I must let God take me by the hand and let him lead me where I'm supposed to be. 
We must all be led in faith to the doors in life that God knows are the right paths for each of us. As blindly frightening as that may seem sometimes, it's only blindly frightening from an earthly perspective. So like a son and father playing a game of hide-and-seek in the pitch dark of a stranger's 30-bedroom mansion, I too was fumbling along in the dark by faith, following the occasional sounds and movements of the Divine Father. Through prayer, scripture, fellowship, and the leading of the Spirit of God, I now walk day by day because I don't know what tomorrow may hold or if tomorrow may even be, for Christ may come like a thief in the night. Each day I try to be the living embodiment of Christ Jesus, his hands, his feet, his lips, his heart, his will, his words. This is what has put me in the shoes of a mechanic today. I told you I never thought I'd be a mechanic, and I still don't, but it's not about me. This is about about God and his kingdom. Working as a mechanic, I encounter so many different people of so many different backgrounds, all of whom are in various stages of life. I may see each individual only once in my life, or I may see them again. Nonetheless, just as Jesus went by foot from village to village, house to house, visiting those in need, some of whom he would encounter again and others he wouldn't, I too can pick up my cross and be the hands of Jesus, the feet of Jesus, the heart of Jesus, the love of Jesus, the words of Jesus. Jesus can use each of us through our enkindled and emboldened hearts, to be that one that somebody may have needed that day to keep them from wondering if there even is a God in today's world, the love and words of Jesus flowing through us that another individual may have needed to hear, to know God's love abounds and people truly do care. You'd be amazed at some of the responses and reactions you get with just a simple God bless at the closing of every encounter. You'll start to understand how much of God's love is needed in this world. Are you taking up your cross for the kingdom of God since Jesus took up his cross for you? Well, I have to say that story makes me a very proud father. Before I hung up the phone with Tim that last Friday, he asked if our church could pray for his co-worker's father who is in his 90s and not doing well in the hospital. This is my son who sees his Christian faith as a grand expedition, as a rescue mission to bring the good news of God's love to those who are in need. So what kind of Christian expedition have you signed up for? What have you risked to follow Jesus Christ? As my son Tim said, each day I try to be the living embodiment of Christ Jesus, his hands, his feet, his lips, his heart, his will, and his words. Amen.
The questions. One, what point was Jesus trying to make with this speech? Two, who was in the crowd and how might they have received it? And three, what is your story of giving up or giving in? <laughs> 